All right, Shabbos, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin, begin by thanking all of our sponsors. So thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Cheshvan, Stephen Terizin, for dedicating all the Shurim and Drushos this month in memory of, of Steve's father, Bunim Tzvi Ben Chaim, on the occasion of his 18th yard site. To thank Leah Sol for dedicating all the Sherman Drushels this month at the Zuchus Rafur Shalema for her daughter, Ilana Bas Esther, and in the merit of Rafur Shalema for all those wounded nerds, Yisrael. To thank Rachel Wolf for a dedicating the Sherman Drushels this month for a complete and lasting Rafur Shalema for Rafal Yitzchak Baruch. Ben Esther, Jerry and Sarah Wolaski in the Schusser of for their grandson, Zachariah Dov Ben Peral Shira, and Azriel and Eris Iris Miller in the Schuss of the Holy Soldiers of the IDF, and in the merit of our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, a week of learning sponsors, Joel Hosner, and thanks to the members of the Israel Defense Forces who need our support at this time. Incredible. All right, folks, with that, let us. let us begin. The Eretz Yisrael, we have a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today, and of course, and aside from all the sponsorships, we always dedicate each and every letter of our learning. In the schools of our holy soldiers, they should be successful in all of their missions. And in the schools of our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, they should have the strength, fortitude, hope, and optimism to weather the days ahead. Jose, so we are beginning today's staff is Sanach above 66, and we are actually picking up. We made, we made good headway yesterday. We're picking up towards the bottom of the daf. Amra Baye. So it's two, four, six, eight, nine lines up from the bottom. So if you remember again, just to reorient ourselves, we're actually still focused on a simple question, which is what happens if a person does kiddushin with an eid echad? Right? In other words, so Ruven, Ruven and Rachel get married. They get married in the presence of a one eid. So you have two people, you have two people saying we are married. That's the statement of the, of the husband, quote unquote, the husband and wife is backed up by an eid echad. So what's the impact? What's the impact? Does that work or not? So remember, we, we've gone on quite a journey. To, so remember, just, just to point out, Rav Yehuda was of the opinion on Ahmed Aleph that Rav Yehuda said that Allah in Choshishin, an Eid Echad, even if you have husband and wife both agreeing that they are married, the testimony of an Eid Echad is absolutely irrelevant, does not affect true Kiddushin. So we've had quite a journey in trying to figure out if that's true, not true. We're continuing with that now. Amr this is an interesting case. Listen to this. An Eid Echad comes over to Ruben and says, Ruben, you ate Chelev. Chelev is forbidden fat. You ate Chelev. And Ruben is quiet. Ruben doesn't say anything. The Eid Echad ultimately again is believed. And therefore again, Ruben will have Chelev liability. Okay, but we also learned. So let's listen to this. So on, on the other hand, there's a second case. An Eid Echad comes and says, Ruvain, you ate Chelev. Ruvain says, no, I didn't. So what's Talacha? Potter. Now, time of the Amr the reason why Ruvain is Potter in that second case is why? Because he contradicted the Eid Echad. Ha Ishtek, but you see that had Ruvain remained silent, Mehamin, ultimately the Eid Echad would be believed. So we'll say, what do you see from here? What do you see? You see that halacha lemaisa, that halacha lemaisa, that an eid echad is believed when there is the consent of the other parties involved. Bam Rabbi, another case. Bam Rabbi, Amrlo eid echad. Eid echad says to Ruvain, nitmu tarosecha. Ultimately, again, your produce, which is tar, which is ritually pure, became tame. Vala shoseik, and Ruvain doesn't say anything when confronted with this eid echad. Neaman. Ultimately, the eid echad is believed. Eid Echad is believed. 
Eidechel Omer Nitmu, I from Eidechel says, your Taras became Tame. Vahala Omer, and Ruvain says, lo, lo Nitmu, no, they didn't become Tame. So what's Talacha? Potter. Ruvain ultimately will be Potter. Now, we'll see, what do you see from here? Time of the Amr Lo. The reason, that the, the reason why the Eidechel is contradicted, or the reason why ultimately the Eidechel is not believed is because Ruvain contradicts him. Ha Ishtek, but had Ruven remained silent, Mehemin, ultimately the Eid Echad would be believed. So we'll see, you begin to see a pattern. In each, so case number one, right, Eid Echad is coming over to Ruven, says, Ruven, you ate Chalif. If Ruven doesn't say anything, if Ruven doesn't contradict the Eid Echad, then ultimately, again, the Eid Echad is believed. Ruven, your Taras, right, your ritually pure produce became Tameh. If Ruven doesn't contradict him, then ultimately, again, the Eid Echad is believed. Now, obviously, if Reuven contradicts the Eid Echad, fine. So the Eid Echad is no more powerful than Reuven himself. Vamra Bayi Bayi says, Amrullah Eid Echad. And Eid Echad says, What's the top of Samech Vav? 66a. Sharcha Nirva. Right? Let's say, again, we'll say that his, his ox was sodomized. Right? His ox was, was, was a victim of bestiality. Vala Shosei. Now, we'll say, now, what's the impact? What's the impact of that on the animal? So Rashi points out over here, Va'asr Lahakrava. So essentially, what the Eid Echad is saying is, Ruvain, your ox is no longer fit to be offered up as a carbon. And Ruvain doesn't say anything. Naaman, ultimately, the Eid Echad is believed. Naaman, we'll say similarly again. If we know that an Avera was committed with this ox, or the ox killed someone, but only based on the testimony of an Eid Echad, or ultimately, again, based on the admission of the owners himself, Naaman, to which the Gemara says, Hai api Eid Echad, hechidami. What is the case of Eid Echad that we just referred to over here? If the owner of the ox, if the owner himself admits that ultimately, again, the ox did what he claimed to do, or ultimately, again, was the victim, so hainu api then that's the same thing as the admission of the owners. Rather, it must be a case where ultimately, again, the Eid Echad gives information. Ruvain doesn't contradict it. And what? The testimony of the Eid Echad is believed. Therefore, I will say, what comes out is we have essentially, we have essentially three different cases, right? Case number one, case number one, Ruvain Yeid Chalev. Case number two, your produce became ritually impure. Case number three, your ox was the victim of bestiality. They will say now all right. So now what happens? Now what happens? in all of these cases, if Reuven doesn't contradict the Eid Echad, the Eid Echad is believed. So we'll say so. Bottom line, bottom line. What do you see here? What do you see here? That when the parties involved don't contradict the Eid Echad, the testimony of the Eid Echad is meaningful. Circling back, circling back, this would seem to prove. Rabbi, oh, this would seem to contradict, excuse me, Rabbi Huda's point, right? because Rabbi Huda wanted to say, Reuven and Rachel claim that they're married, right? That statement is backed up by an Eid Echad, by an Eid Echad. Rabbi Huda said that's meaningless, but here we seem to see that a, a testimony of an Eid Echad is meaningful. Now, before we get to that, we'll say, why do you need three cases that all highlight the same concept, right? In other words, all three of the, obviously, they're three different cases, one dealing ultimately again with Chalev, one dealing with Taras, and one dealing with the status of an animal, but Lamaisa, it's all the same principle. So why do you need to illustrate the same principle in three different ways? Marissa, I'll tell you. Had we just said the first case of Taros, 
Right? That's the case we'll say where again. Eilachel comes to Ruven. Ruven. I'm sorry. Chelav. Ruven, you ate Chelav. Ruven, you ate Chelav. Say if you would, and, and Ruven was silent. If Ruven is silent, ultimately again there's liability. So if you would have just said that case, so the Gemara says, Elav the Kinle Benafshei David Chulin Baazara Lo Hava Maisi. So we'll say, see in the case of Chelav, what's what's the liability for Chelav? You have to bring a carbon. So we'll say, so the truth is, when the Eidachah says, Ruvain, you ate Chelev, and Ruvain is silent, had Ruvain not been 100% sure that the Eidachah was correct, he would have never remained silent. Why? Because we'll say, Ruvain would not want to bring a carbon to the Beis HaMikdash if he wasn't obligated to do so. That is called Chulin Bazara. We spent a long time speaking about Chulin Bazara. So therefore, again, it must be in that case, Ruvain's silence is because he knows for sure that the Eid Echad is correct. Aval, nitmu tarosecha. But in the case where the Eid Echad comes along and says, Ruvain, your produce became ritually impure. So maybe I will say the reason why Ruvain is silent in that case is why? Because he says to himself, who cares? Who cares if my produce became ritually impure? So fine, I won't eat it during days that I am tahar. I'll only eat it during days that I am tameh. Remember again, most people, right, you had food in the of the Beis HaMikdash, where we had Tumantara, it's interesting, right? You had food that you would eat when you were tar, and you would have food that you would eat when you were tummy. So what happens when the Eid Echad comes along, the Eid comes along and says that Ruvain, your taros, your ritually pure food became tummy, and Ruvain's silent. Silence doesn't mean that he's agreeing. I will say, silence just means he's going along with it. I will say, sometimes, it's not worth the argument, right? In other words, sometimes in life, even if you happen to know that what the person is saying is incorrect or what the person is saying is flawed, you don't always have to be right. You know, there are some people that always feel the need to be right and therefore always have to argue every single point. And they get mired in arguments that are just of absolutely no consequence. Sometimes, just let it go. Just let it go. So the Gemara is suggesting over here, so Eidachar comes, Ruben, your, your produce is tummy. Ruben's like, whatever. You know, you know, it's, you know it, it just, it doesn't, he, he might know, no, it's not. But what am I going to do? I'm going to get into it with the Eidachar? So fine. You want to say it's tummy? It's tummy. No problem. I'm tummy, I'm, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm tummy most of the time anyway, which doesn't sound right. You know, but like, right? So in other words, I'm tummy anyway at times. So now this food will be set aside for when I'm tummy. That's it. That's it. So the silence doesn't necessarily mean acquiescence. V'yash minan ha. And if you were to just come with a Taurus case, we shouldn't come off to the made Taurus. I would say, so no, maybe on food, or food, just in the Taurus case, I would have said that when Reuben is silent, maybe in that case, silence really does mean acquiescence. Because yeah, the Eid Echad is really depriving him of something, which is depriving him of the ability to consume his produce when he is tar. Aval Shoro Nirva, I will say, when, when the Eid Echad comes along and says that your ox, your ox was sodomized, so I will say, so maybe the reason why Reuben doesn't contradict them is why. Amar, Kala Shvarm Lavagad Mizbeach Kaimi. I will say, interestingly enough, remember, as we said before, What's the impact of the eight Echad's testimony that Ruvain's ox was sodomized? What's, what's the impact of that? You can't offer it up as a carbon. Okay. I was going to say, it doesn't preclude me from using the animal for, for work. It doesn't preclude me from shechting it and using it for food. So the Maisa, I would say, I, generally, like when you have a, a herd, right? What, 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 what percentage of that herd is sacrificially designated? So the answer is, 
low. It's a low percentage. So far as I can't use this animal as a carbon, not a big deal. Once again, I will say, so his silence is not necessarily demonstrative of acquiescence. His silence may be demonstrative of, it's just not worth the fight. It's just, it's just not worth anything. Therefore, again, Sricha. You see, you need all three cases. Why? Because by including all three cases, the point that the Gemara is trying to make over here is, silence is acquiescence. That's the point. That when Eid Echad comes along and says something, and you, you, the, the, we'll call it the Bailim, you, the Bailim, don't say anything, don't contradict, but are simply silent in the face of the Eid Echad, that is acquiescence. That is acquiescence. And I will say again, what you begin to see from here, is that so an Eid Echad does have power. An Eid Echad does have power. Now, again, is this, the question we're going to have to grapple with is, it's not only demonstrated that an Eid Echad does have power to affect legal realities. And by the way, we knew that already, right? We know, where do we know that from? We know the concept of Eid Echad Naaman Bi'isurin. We have this concept, right? That one witness is believed in matters of Israel, matters of prohibition, right? And Eid Echad comes along and says, that piece of meat is chalev, he's believed. He's believed, right? This is why, for example, again, a woman is a hilchos nida, right? A woman is believed to say she's a nida, she's not a nida. One second, it's an iser. What, maybe you should have independent corroboration, independent edos. No. Eid ne'eman bi'isurin. The question just is, when do we apply, when do we apply the credibility, in what cases do we extend the credibility of an Eid Echad to? That's really the fundamental question that we're grappling with over here. Okay, so we so listen to this. This is a fascinating case. Ishto zinsa echad. Listen to this, I will say. So an Eid Echad comes over to Ruvain. He says, Ruvain, your wife committed adultery. Your wife committed adultery. What happens? Bashol say, Ruvain is silent. Ruvain is silent in the face of the testimony of the Eid Echad. So I say, now what's the Shiloh? Mahu. So again, <laughs> I will say, now, now here, again, the stakes are much higher because the Shiloh is, remember, if a woman commits adultery, she's prohibited to her husband. So the Shiloh over here is Ruben confronted with this information by an Eid Ruben himself quiet, doesn't say anything. What is the impact on the marriage? Amr Abaye says, Ne'eman. Ultimately, again, the Eid Echad is believed. Wow. Rava Amr Eino Ne'eman. Rava says, no, the Eid Echad is not believed. Havi Davr Sheba'erva. I will say, this is a matter of immorality, or morality, immorality. And I will say, whenever it comes to matters of morality, matters of morality always require the testimony of two witnesses. I will say, where do we know that from? Where do we know that from? We just had this. Gezer Shava, Davr, Davr, Mimamon. One of those Shas concepts you have to remember. Right? Davr, Davr, Mimamon. It says, Davr, by Erva. Kimatsa, Ba, Ervas, Davr. That's by Erva. And so davar davar, just like you need two witnesses by mat, by monetary matters, you also need two witnesses ultimately again by matters of morality. So therefore, Rava says not believed, not believed. I'm Rabbi. So Rabbi says, so Rabbi says, where do, so, so Rabbi says, okay. So where do I know that the Eid Echad is believed in this case? So says, remember again, this is pretty dramatic because Rabbi is saying Eid Echad shows up, tells Ruben, Ruben, your wife committed adultery. Ultimately, again, now she... And, and Ruben doesn't contradict. Rabbi said, just to be clear, remember, if Eid were to come and say, Ruben, your wife committed adultery, and Ruben said, no, she didn't. No, she didn't. What's the Allah, huh? She didn't. So, done. Done, right? In other words, Ruben has the ability to contradict the Eid What's happening over here, and this is the theme, is silence. 
silence in the face of the testimony of an Eid Echad. So Abayi says, if Reuben is silent, that means ultimately, again, the testimony of the Eid Echad is accepted, and Halacha Lamai says, she is Asura, Rachel is Asura to Reuben. Now watch this. I'm going to buy Abayi, Abayi says, but it's incredible. Abayi says, from where do I know that silence in the face of the Eid Echad is acceptance of his testimony? Listen to this. So there was a particular man, he was blind. He was blind. He used to arrange the teachings in the presence of Marshmuel. So Marshmuel would go ahead and deliver teachings, right? Deliver halachas. And this guy would be like the organizer. He'd be the, the sheer note taker. He'd be the organizer. Okay, what happened? One day, this guy, the blind guy, right, the blind note organizer, was late. He didn't come to Beis Medrash. So, so Mashmuel sent someone from the Beis Medrash to go find this guy. To go find him. So what happens? So what ended up happening is, so the blind guy was just running late. See, he was on his way to the Beis Medrash. He took one path, and the Shaliach took a different path. So, so they missed each other. So they missed each other. Now, I was saying, now, the part of the story that's not written was, so the shaliach, the shaliach ended up going to the blind man's house, right? And when he got to the blind man's house, apparently he saw that the blind man's wife was with another man, that she had committed adultery. Okay, so Kiyasa, he comes to the base medrash, so the shaliach, right, comes back to the base medrash, and he tells the blind man, Amar Ishta Zinsa. He says to the blind man, I saw that your wife committed adultery. We have committed adultery. So the blind man comes before Marshmuel. So he says, Marshmuel, like, what, what do I do? So like, what, what's, what's the halacha in this case? So listen to this. If you believe this shaliach, if you believe the Eid then ultimately divorce your wife. But if you don't believe the Eid then don't divorce your wife. Then don't divorce your wife. So Abayi says, what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That an Eid Echad does have credibility. Does have credibility. Now, interestingly enough, it seems to be like subjective credibility, which is, you know, if you believe him, then ultimately, again, his words are powerful. So the Gemara says, my love, Eid Mehemen Allah, the love Gazlano. Now, Abayi what does this mean? If you believe the Eid Echad, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? So Bepashtos, doesn't it mean that if you believe that he's credible, in other words, he's not a Ganav. In other words, remember, someone who's a Ganav, someone who's a thief, doesn't have halachic credibility. So when Mashmuel said, when Mashmuel said to the Shaliach, if you believe him, doesn't that mean Stam? Like, if you believe that he has credibility, he's not a Ganav, then ultimately divorce your wife. So the Gemara says, My love, my love, But Rava, Rava would say, No, that's not what it means. Rava would say, No, no, no. What Mashmuel was saying was, If this guy is so credible to you that his word is like two witnesses, then divorce your wife. But if it's not like two witnesses, i.e., it's only like one witness, then you need, this is not an actionable, this is not actionable testimony. So I will say, so therefore again, so just to, so just to show what's happening over here. So remember, we have now an Eid Echad showing up telling Ruvain, your wife Rachel committed adultery. Ruvain is silent. He, he doesn't know to accept the contradiction. He just doesn't know. So what's the impact of that? So once again, Abaye says, he, the Eid Echad is believed. Now, interestingly enough, where did I, from where did Abaye glean his position? Apparently from this story of Marshmuel. 
Right? That, that seems to be the basis for his position. That Mashmuel said to the blind man, if you believe this Eid Echad, then ultimately again, divorce your wife. So you see from here, the testimony of an uncontested, of an uncontested Eid Echad is actionable. Rava says, what are you talking about? Rabbi says this is a Davar Sheva Erva. Whenever it comes to a Davar Sheva Erva, we have Gzir Sheva Davar Davar Mi Mamon. Just like Mamon, monetary matters need two witnesses, so too, again, morality matters require two witnesses as well. But Amra Bayi says, Mina Minala. So Bayi says, okay, so Bayi once again tries to prove his position that Eirech HaShivodei Bo say, this is an incredible, incredible story. Incredible story. A little, little, a little, no, it's not a Ganata, it's just an incredible story. The Sanya. There was a story with King Yanai. Rabbi said, Who was King Yanai? Rashi says, So Rabbi said, Yanai was one of the Hasmonean kings, right? This is in the aftermath of the Hanukkah story. So, so just a piece of history over here. So remember again, the Hashmonai families, the Hashmonai family were the heroes of the Hanukkah story. They were Kohanim. They were Kohanim. After they won, after they won the battle against the Syrian Greeks and regained Jewish autonomy, this during times of the second base Amikdash. So they did something very interesting, which is they also took monarchy. They took monarchy. There's an interesting machlokus between the Ramban and the Rambam as to whether or not that was the right move to seize the monarchy. One opinion says their goal was to consolidate power. There was such anarchy, there was such anarchy that their goal was to create a consolidation ultimately of power. Another opinion says, no, it was a terrible mistake. The way that Judaism is set up is that there is a split, a defined split between political leadership and between religious leadership. Religious leadership comes from Shevet Lady. Comes from Shevet Lady. Right? That's Kahuna. That's Kahuna. Political leadership comes from Shevet Yehuda. Shevet Yehuda, that's monarchy, that's Davidic line. So, the, 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 so it's an interesting machlokas. So in general, the, the Hasmonean monarchical line did not end well. Remember, again, both say, what happens to the Malchus of the Hasmonean to the, to the monarchical line? What happens to them? Remember, they're, they're wiped out ultimately by Herod. Right? Hordus, right? Hordus was the one who claimed that he was the last of the Hasmonean kings. He wasn't the Hasmonean king at all. He was a slave. He was a slave. But Lamaisa, again, they're, they're, they're ultimately, they're wiped out. Okay, so in any event, this is Yanai. This is Yanai. So, King Yanai, so watch this. So, I'm Rabbi. So, Marisa be Yanai Hemelech. Shahalach Lukuchlis Shiva Midbar. So, he waged a battle. He waged a military campaign. The Kivesh Sham Shishim Krachim. Let's say he waged a, a successful military campaign. And Bar Hashem, he captured 60 cities. Incredible. When he came back, obviously, Bar Hashem, there was great celebration. And he called, again, Yan, Yan, right? This, this is when Yanai was good. This is when Yanai was, 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 was righteous. So Yanai wanted to celebrate this incredible accomplishment together with all of the Chachamim. So Amalahem, so what's this? Is, he said, Avosenu, Our forefathers ate Meluchim. I will say that, what's Meluchim? Look at Rashi, Meluchim. Rashi says, Yurakos heim, Vishemen kakudi balashan arami. So I will say, so listen to this. Our forefathers, when they were building the base Hamikdash, all they ate were essentially like salted, like pickled vegetables. Salted vegetables. Right? Now, why did all they eat was salted vegetables? Well, so look, it's incredible. Look at Rashi. Kishay asukim abinyan, bayashani, shabal minagola, vahayu aniyim, vahayu motsiyan hotsaos bimalacha. 
Af anu nochal meluchin lios zecher laoni avosinu ulahodos lefniak al shparachu shes lechinu veshinu. Bosa, this is so beautiful. This is when our forefathers came back to rebuild the second base. I mean, this is incredible. They essentially donated all of their money to rebuilding, to building the Beis HaMikdash, to building the house of Hashem. And so all they had, all they had, was some money left over just for very simple food. For very simple food. He says, This is beautiful. He says, let us remember that which our forefathers did. So we'll say, it's such a beautiful moment. What Yanai was doing was saying, look how far we have come. Right, our forefathers, our forefathers gave up pretty much all of their disposable income to be able to build the house of the Ribbono Shalom. And all they ate was some salted vegetables. So let's eat salted vegetables as well. Let's remember their Mesiras Nefesh. I say, but what did they do? The help. So I said, this is incredibly important. How in general, in times of accomplishment, it's always important, especially like as, as a people, it's always important to recognize any accomplishment we have as a nation always comes on the shoulders of those who came before us. Any accomplishment we have, the, the path to accomplishment is paved by the Messina's Nevesh, the incredible self-sacrifice of those who came before us. So here, Yana is saying, as we celebrate this incredible military victory, let's remember that the path to this victory was paved by those who came before us. So what did they do? This is incredible. They ate salted vegetables on golden tables. So as I said, the contrast is pretty incredible. Let's remember what our forefathers ate, and we're eating it now on gold tables. That's how successful we are. It's such a beautiful image. So as I said, what happened? There was the guy there. He was a let's. Right? How do you translate a let's? A clown, right? But like, but like, someone. The whole idea, the whole idea. Actually, we saw this in um, in Shai Tshuva. The whole idea of and also and also in Chovas Levavos Sharbi Tachem. The whole idea of Leitzanas Rabbi is and and Zeras Hashem. Right? Leitzanas means you take nothing seriously. Everything is a joke, and when you take nothing seriously, Rabbi say it's the worst kind of mida. So Lev Ra, a person with a bad heart, Ubilial. I say Billy Al means Billy All. He didn't, he, just a person without the yoke of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on him. And what was his name? The Elazar ben Poira Shemo. His name was Elazar. Elazar, what's his name? Elazar ben Poira. Vayomer, Elazar ben Poira, Lianai HaMelech. So Elazar ben Poira said to Yanai HaMelech, Yanai HaMelech, Libam shall prushim alecha. He says, the heart of the Chachamim is not really with you. So also listen to this. So this guy, it's, it's so sad. Elazar ben Poira, Bosa is just trying to poison the well. He's just trying to poison the well. It's literally, so he goes over to Yana and says, Yana, you think the rabbis support you, the Chachamim support you? They don't support you. Bosa, the Chachamim were called the Prushim. The Prushim. Right? The Prushim were the people, right? Parash literally means separate. Someone who's separate in order to maintain the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what they called the Chachamim. It's called, let's say, the Stukim. Right? The Stukim were the people who only believed in Tarash of Echsad, not Tarash of Alpah. So he says, the Prushim, the Rabbanim, the Rabbanim, they are not really with you. So, the, so Yanai listens. Uma Ehesa. So Yanai says, what should I do? Or how should I tell? How, how can I tell if you're right or not? So, so, so this guy, Lazar, says, Hekim lahem betzitz shebenei necha. Put on the tzitz. I was saying, what's the tzitz? The tzitz is the plate that goes on the forehead of the Kohen Gadol. 
of the Kohen Gadol that says Kodesh Lashem. So essentially what Elazar ben Poirah says, Tiana, here's how you could test their allegiance. Essentially, anoint yourself as Kohen Gadol. Put on sits in front of them and see what their reaction is. So, Hekim Lehem Betzitz, Shabbat So, okay, Yana, listen. I will say, it, it, it's, it's incredible, right? It's incredible. You see from here, you see from here how dangerous it is to lack self-confidence. See, I will say, this is a study in a lack of self-confidence. When you don't believe in yourself, anyone or anything that chirps in your ear, you go with it. Right, this is a story of Achashverosh Lahavdil. Right, this is a story. It's incredible. You would think that great people who accomplish great things ultimately should go ahead and have confidence to do what is right. But sometimes they're both saying, you know what? You know what ends up happening? You know what happens with power? With power is an amazing thing. Great people, when they rise to levels of power, so when they're not as great, they're totally focused on helping their constituency. When they become great and ascend to power, you know what it becomes all about? It's all about what? Maintaining power. And when everything is about maintaining power, so someone chirps in your ear, someone doesn't support you, you react. I see what I say? That's the difference. That's the difference. When a leader is focused on maintaining power, all he wants to do is make sure he could carry favor with whoever is around him. When a leader, when a leader wants to do good by his constituency, it doesn't really, you know, this famous Hassan Sofer. Hassan Sofer is talking to a group of Rabbanim. He says, any Rav who is beloved by everyone is not doing his job. Right? And he says, any Rav who is despised by everyone is not a mensch. But he says, you know, so there, there's that somewhere in the middle, right? If everybody likes you, chances are you're not accomplishing anything. Right? Part of being in a leadership position is being disliked by some segment of the population. So it's incredible. So this guy chirps in Yanai's ear, and Yanai totally reacts, right? Hey, it's, it's so, it's so, he, the man, Yanai, just conquered 60 cities. You're doing a good job. Doing a good job, right? Ride the wave of success. But once you become so hyper-focused on maintaining power, you're just willing to listen to it. So, okay, so he puts on the tzitz. Puts on the tzitz. So all the rabbanim are there. Hayasham ben or So there was a particular Zakin, a particular, right, particular Rav there, and his name was Yehuda ben Gedida. Yehuda ben Rav lach keser malchus, hanach keser kahuna lazaro shel Aaron. Okay, so he said this, this might not have been the best way to say this, but he says like this. He says, Yanai, you already have the crown of the monarchy. Leave the crown of the kahuna gedola to the offspring of Aaron. Now, I will say, that was a loaded statement. Because he's, as far as had he just said, had he just said, you have the crown of the monarchy, don't take the crown of the kuna also, leave kuna gidol for someone else. But essentially what he said to Yanai was, you're not really a fit Kohen. Okay, why? Because I will say, there was, there was an account that said that Yanai's mother was taken captive, was taken captive before he was born in the town of Modi'im. So therefore, I will say, remember again, the halacha assumes when a woman is taken captive, in Rahman al-Islam, she's violated. She's violated. So there were concerns that maybe Yanai is not, is a halal, is a halal, or, or, or not a kohen, not a kohen, something that somehow his yichos was somewhat tainted. So this, I will say, so first of all, not really a good move, right? Not a good move. And this is in public, by the way, right? All this happening in public. So again, had the statement just been, just be the king, don't worry about being the coin goddle, okay. 
But now, essentially in public, what you're doing is you're going ahead and you're, you're, you're essentially casting aspersions on the king's yichos. Now, interestingly enough, it happens to be, this was a rumor, right? This was discussed about having happened to Yanai's mother. They researched it and there, there, was, no, there was no proof to that 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 ever occurred. So in other words, so here Yehuda ben Gedida was bringing up something that, that was never really substantiated. So as one could imagine, Yanai is angry. He separated himself ultimately again from the Rabbanim in anger. So now Yanai is angry. Well, so, so many lessons, right? So many lessons. Yehuda ben Gedida, come on, come on, right? Measure your words a little bit more carefully, right? Think about what you're going to say, especially when you're saying it in public. Be a bit more thoughtful in what you're going to deliver and how you're going to deliver it. So obviously, Yana is angry. Yana is angry. So what happens? So this guy, and I will say, here, here's what's incredible also. Why, why is Elazar ben Po'ira doing this? Right? Why is he doing this? Why is he trying to poison the well? So again, we don't know. We don't know. The Gemara doesn't tell us why that is. So what happens? But he's not finished. So now Elizabeth Beer says, Yana, Yana, you know, if a regular commoner was publicly humiliated, that's one thing. But Yana, you're the king and you're the coin Gadol. You cannot allow this public humiliation to go without repercussion. So Yana says, what should I do? What should I do? So, he, so yeah, so Elizabeth Perry says, well, again, who am I? But if you're asking me, kill all of the Chachamim. Kill all of the Chachamim. This, this is wild. This is wild. Elizabeth Perry, literally, again, he has the ear of the king. Yanai, again, I will say, this is what happens when you lack self-confidence and all you're worried about is keeping power and not doing good. Yanai, Yanai is listening, right? Yanai is like, He's like clay in Elizabeth Ben Po'ira's hand. If you listen to me, I will say, by the way, this is Ahasuerus and Haman. This is the same, it's the same story. It's the same exact narrative. So Elizabeth says, you know what? If you listen to me, kill them. Kill them. I see Yanai says, kill them. Vitora Mate We'll say, what's going to happen to Torah? When well, Yanai understood that Chachamim, both are the purveyors, are the conveyors of Torah. So what happens if I kill the Chachamim? So Elizabeth says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Torah's right over there. Right? Lord, she pointed to her Torah scroll. It's rolled up in the corner. It's right there. Nothing's going to happen to Torah. Right? Torah's right there. Whoever wants to learn it, they can come and learn it. Come and learn it. We'll say, in the midst of this terrible story, I just want to point out what a profound statement. Right? We'll say, Torah is accessible to us whenever we want it. It's rolled up, it's sitting there in the corner, and it is waiting. It is waiting to be learned by us. Whoever wants it, whoever wants it, come and get it. What a, what a Muslim. We sometimes think that ultimately, again, Torah is so far from us. Torah is so difficult for us. Remember again the words of Moshe Rabbeinu, Torah is not in the heavens. Those say, Torah is not in the heavens. Where is it? It's right in the corner. It's right there. It's right there. If you want it, if you want it, yeah, now here's the difference. When it comes to Torah, you know, you know what's not going to happen? You know what's not going to happen? Torah is not coming to you. That's the difference, right? Torah is not walking over to you. 
The Torah is in the corner of every single room that you ever inhabit. It's rolled up, waiting there. If you want it, if you want it, it is there for the taking. Okay, incredible. Just an incredible positive message in the midst of this. So you got Elizabeth ben Poira saying to Yana, wipe out the Chachamim. So we'll say now, what ends up happening is, at this point, in this, see, up until now in the story, Yanai was listening, Yanai was listening, but, but still he wasn't 100% convinced that what Elazar ben Poira was telling him was correct. I will say, in this moment, there was a shift, right? And Yanai, Yanai is seized by a wave of apikarsus. The Havile Lameymar Tinoch Tarshabichsav, Tarshabalpe, Mai. So we'll say, because Yanai should have said, Elazar ben Poira, come on, you know better than that. A Torah scroll by itself is helpful to a certain degree, right? But Torah Shabbat without Torah Shabbat you can't do anything with it. Who is the key? Who is the key to Torah Shabbat Who is the key to Torah Shabbat The Chachamim. The Chachamim. So while it's true that if you kill out the Chachamim, ultimately again, the Torah scroll itself is still sitting there in the corner waiting to be learned. But without the Chachamim, how can you decode it? How can you understand it? So Rabbi says, so what happens? So the Gemara says, Miyad ben kol What a tragic story. What a tragic story, I will say. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what happened? So at the end of the day, Elazabeth ben Poira got the ear, got the ear ultimately again of Yanai, and Yanai killed out all of the sages. All of the sages. The world was desolate. I point out there's a lot of parallels to different stories over here. Is the same Lashon the Gemara uses in Yevamis on Samech Beis when it talks about the story of the death of Rabbi Akiva's students. Right? Rabbi Akiva loses the 24,000 students. 24,000 students. And then the Gemara says, The world was desolate. I will say, without Tamidei Chachamim, the world is empty because Tamidi Chachamim ultimately again who perpetuate the light of Torah. So now again, the, the world, there was literally an existential threat to the continuity of the Jewish people. Ad Sheba Shimon ben Shetach, Behechser Esatar Yoshna. Until Shimon ben Shetach, interestingly enough, Shimon ben Shetach was Yanai's brother in law. Was Yanai's brother in law. So how did he survive the massacre of the Rabbanim? Because, listen to this, Yanai's own wife, Shimon ben Shetach's sister, hid her brother, Shimon ben Shetach. Sorry, as I said the other wrong way. Right? So Yanai's wife... Yeah, Yanai's wife, Shimon Shetach's sister. Yeah, Yanai, right? Yanai's wife, Shimon Shetach's sister, ultimately, again, Rashi says, Right? He was the brother of Yanai's wife, ultimately, and she hid him. She hid him. So we'll say... So, the, it, I, it's just incredible, right? So ultimately, again, so Torah, so Torah survives through... So Yanai wipes out Torah, and it's Yanai's own wife, ultimately, again, who ensures the continuity of Torah. The Hechsir as a Torah And ultimately, again, Shimon Shetach, he returns the Torah to its former glory. So we'll say, Shimon Shetach rebuilds everything. He rebuilds everything. So we'll say, I just want to point out something absolutely, dramatically, tragically amazing. Let's say, if you notice, by the way, remember again, the second Mesa Mikdash, who was instrumental in ensuring its destruction? Right, you remember again, um, um, oh my gosh. No, no, but the story, the story. Kamsa, right? So again, I will say, so again, there, 
ultimately again you have Bar Kamsa and Zechariah Ben Avkolos. Right? Here, here is ultimately again this individual, Elazar Ben Poira. I would say, the most important thing for our mess, for our people to always remember, always remember, I would say, is that at the end of the day, our enemies aren't the Caesar and aren't Haman or Hamas or Hezbollah. Those enemies we can always conquer. The enemies who do the worst damage to Klal Yisrael is ourselves. Is ourselves. We are always the key. We are, let's say someone, just to illustrate this, and it's, it's, it's happening already. Somebody sent me a, an article yesterday from, from Tablet Magazine about how, how right now every Jew is at fault for hiding behind the concept of Bikuach Nevesh. That we think that Israel should have a green light to go ahead and do whatever it has to do because of Bikuach Nefesh. Who says our Bikuach Nefesh is more important than anyone else's Bikuach Nefesh? It's incredible. 11 day, what, what, what day of the war is it now? 11 days? 11 days? And already, again, the breaks in the unity. Already the breaks in the unity. And the world sees this. The world will pick up on this. And as time goes on, more and more. It's so important was it, to learn the lessons of history. When we are not united with each other, that is when the greatest amount of damage happens to us. That is when the greatest amount of damage. When we are together, when we are Yach and say, remember, sometimes what does Achtos mean? What does Achtos mean? Achtos means, I will say, Achtos means that what you do, we spoke of this before, you value unity over personal agenda. So what Achtos means, you will say, if everyone agrees on everything, then Achtos is easy, right? The reason why Achtos is complicated is because what Achtos means is, I disagree with you. I disagree with you, and I disagree with you in a very significant way. But I feel that our ability to be united is more important than our disagreements on very important issues. So what I'm willing to do is I'm willing to either agree or set aside certain things because the national unity is what I prize most and what matters most. It's very difficult. We spoke about this before. It's very difficult because to put aside your personal agendas and your personal beliefs for the sake of some higher form of unity is the hardest thing in the world. But that is the secret to our success. That is the secret to our success. And unfortunately, the inability to do that paves the way for our own undoing. It's not some Gentile external force that gets Yanai's ear. It's Elazar ben Poira. It's not someone who gets the Caesar's ear. It's Barkansa. It's Barkansa. It's such an incredible and overwhelming yisod that we have yet to learn over to them. Because we'll say, now we ride a beautiful wave of Jewish unity. Jewish unity. It shouldn't take a massacre. It shouldn't take a pogrom for Jews to be united. All it should take is a brief study in Jewish history for us to understand what happens to us when we don't have achtos, to recognize that we need to put Achtos above all else. Nothing matters more than Achtos. Whatever disagreements you have to set aside, but it's hard. Let's say it's hard, right? We know it's hard. It's hard to set aside your own personal agenda for the sake of some greater goal of national unity. But until we learn that lesson, until we learn that lesson, we will keep after encountering challenge after challenge after challenge. Halavai, let's say, you know what I hope more than anything in this current situation? I hope more than anything that maybe, maybe, this is the turning point for Klal Yisrael. Maybe this is it. 
maybe this is the event. In other words, maybe what we see is, maybe what we see is in retrospect that when our leaders in Eretz Yisrael squabble like children, each of them advocating for their own little bucket of stuff they want, setting aside the national good for personal good. And maybe when we see that when Jews fight with each other in Dizengoff on Yom Kippur, right, we see it paves the way, it paves the way for horrific tragedies in Kalal Yisrael. Maybe this is a turning point for us. You know, maybe it is. And now, the chesed you see, the chesed you will say, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, ridiculously amazing. The achdos, everything. So that's what I hope more than anything that comes out of this. That maybe this is the tipping point for Kalal Yisrael. We saw such divisiveness and such selfish behavior. Selfish behavior. Maybe this is the tipping point where we recognize we, can't, we, don't, we don't have the luxury of not having achdos. That's what, that's what I sincerely hope, and I think what all of us hope comes out is we know that Eretz Yisrael, Am Yisrael, Medina Yisrael, you know, that I, we'll be successful in our endeavors. The question is what happens after the success? Do we hold on to the Achdos, or do we lapse back into our previous ways? That's the part that I tell you, that's the part that makes me most fearful, that when the dust settles, does everybody just simply retreat back into their corner? Or do we hold on to the beautiful national bonds of unity that have been created during this difficult time? Halavite should be the latter. Both say, let's go weiter. So what happens? I was doing so well. I was doing so well. Okay. All right. Fine. Sorry. So I say, hey, dami. Hey, dami. So I say, so what's, uh, so, okay. So now remember, this was a great story. It was a great story. But like, wh- why, why is this here? And I will say, now watch this. Hey, dami. Now, listen, I just want to point out, you know why this entire story was brought up? This is incredible. The entire story was brought up just because of this detail of Yanai's mother being taken captive. That, that's, why the, that's why the story is there, right? So remember again, this, the, this sage Yehuda, Yehuda ben Gedide, right? When Yanai shows up with the tzitz, so what happens is, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You're not Queen Gadol. Why? Because remember again, your mother was taken captive in Modim. So says, well, what's, what's that story? Now remember, the Gemara says they investigated that story and it was an incredible story. So the says, what, what was the story? What was the story? Hechidami. So we'll say if it was a case, ultimately, again, where two witnesses says, when two witnesses say that she was taken captive, the mother, and two witnesses say she was taken captive, we'll say if it's two versus two, then at the end of the day, they cancel each other out. And therefore, we have no testimony that she was taken captive. Rather, it must be able to say that there was one witness who said that she was taken captive. The time of the Kamechashile betray. Now, ultimately, again, so there was an Eid who said that she was taken captive. And there were two witnesses who said she wasn't taken captive. And that's why, again, the story was found not to be credible. Now, Halav Haki Mohammed. Now, the Abayi will say, now the reason why the Eid isn't believed, why Abayi says, why? Why? Because he was contradicted by two witnesses. But what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That if the Eid wasn't contradicted by two witnesses, then what? He would be believed. So you see from here that an uncontested Eid Echad is believed. So this is a bias proof. So Rava, Rava will say, no, no, no. The Olam Trey Utrey, it's not true. In fact, the story with Yanai's mother was there were two competing sets of witnesses. We'll say, what are we talking about over here? We're talking about the case was two witnesses say that Yanai's mother was taken captive. Another two witnesses show up and say, they, they don't say the opposite. They just say about the first witnesses, you could not have seen that. Why? Imanayus, and you were with us. 
So there's no way that you saw what you claim you saw. So that ultimately was there was a, there was an entire plan to get Yana's mother out. Ultimately, again, they substituted her with another woman. They put a slave a slave in there instead. So fine. So let's say. So bottom line. Bottom line is Yana's mother. Yana's mother ultimately again was not the woman taken captive. So we'll say. So remember, the whole reason this fascinating story was brought down is because Abaye wanted to use it as a proof that you see that an uncontested Eid Echad ultimately again could be believed, but Lamaisa, it is not a good proof. Amarava. So Rava says as follows. We'll say I'm a base. From where do I know? From where do I know that ultimately again an Eid Echad is not believed? Is not believed ultimately again in. A Dvar Erva. How do I know that? Even if he's not contested, it's not. Amar Reb Shimon Maaseh beMegura Shel Diskin biYavna. So let's listen to this. There was a story of a Megura Shel Diskin. Now let's say now what's the case over here? This story about a body of water, like a pool of water, a mikvah. There was a pool of water, a, a, a mikvah in Yavna. Shaisa Omedes Becheskas Shlema. Now let's remember again, a mikvah is that forty saw. So they had measured the mikvah at some point in time, and it had forty saw. Had forty saw. Now what happens? They measured, they measured it then at some later time, and they found it didn't have 40 saw, but it had 39 saw. So obviously, what's going to be the Shiloh? The Shiloh is, so what do you do? So imagine for a moment, let's say on Rosh Chodesh Keshvan, they built the mikvah, they measured it 40 saw. And then on Rosh Chodesh Kislev, they measure it again, it only has 38 saw. So of course now the shayla is what about everything in between? So what's ta'alacha? So called tarol shenasu agava. So we'll say anything that was purified using that mikvah. Hayir Rabbi Tarfon Matar. Rabbi Tarfon said it's ta'alacha. So Rabbi Tarfon says essentially we only assume the mikvah became deficient when when at the time you measured it now the second time, but beforehand it has a cheskas kashros and therefore any finger anyone that used that mikvah is presumed to be tar. Rabbi Akiva Metami. Rabbi Akiva said, no, it's Tami. So Rabbi Akiva says that Halach Halamaisa, we don't know when, we, here's what we know, the mikvah became deficient. We don't know when the mikvah became deficient. So essentially, you have to back up the suffix deficiency all the way back to Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. Right? So maybe it was, you know, it was, it was kosher, you know, for a moment afterwards. But after that, you have to assume that every, it was deficient going forward. So I must say, so incredible. So according to Rabbi Akiva, anything done during the month of Cheshvan is going to have to be retold. According to Rabbi Tarifun, anything done during Cheshvan is just fine. It's only this point and on that the mikvah is unusable. Rabbi Tarifun, Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Tarifun. Mikvah zeh v'cheska shalim u'omeid. Misafik ata balachas. So atachsrei misafik. So Rabbi Tarifun says, no, no, no. The mikvah is a cheska's kashos. Okay, so now on Rosh Chodesh Kislev, when you measure it again, it no longer has a cheskas kashros. Fine. So going forward, going forward, it's not going to be usable. But why would you erode the cheskas kashros retroactively? Misafek on Rabbi Akiva, Adam Zeb cheskas tamayu omid. Misafek atabalatara atarem misafek. Rabbi Akiva says, but what? One second. What about the person who immersed in it? Right, so the person who immersed in it during 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 month of Cheshvan, he has a cheskas tamei. Now, both say his chazaka is that he's tamei, based on a suffix mikvah kasher. You know, him. So, both say it's interesting. So, Rabbi Tarfon looks at this from the vantage point of the mikvah. Rabbi Akiva looks at this from the vantage point of the person. So, Rabbi Tarfon says the mikvah has a cheskas kashros, and therefore, again, there's no reason to erode the cheskas kashros misafik. Rabbi Akiva says the person has a cheskas tuma. Right, the only way to undo the cheskas tumah is by, through a vaday mikvah, 
and you don't have a vaday mikvah. Incredible. I'm going to be Mashal This is very interesting. I'm going to be I'm going to give you a mashal. What's the mashal? To a coin who's standing by the by the mizbeach. ben grusha ben chalutza. Let's imagine the following scene. Right, you have a coin who's standing by. The, he's in the basement. He's doing the avoda. Right, he gets a he gets a he gets a text message. Right, an alert. By the way, you're a ben grusha ben chalutza. Right, bad news. Right, bad news. Shabbos says, now what's the shayla? Sha'avodosu k'shela. Shabbos says, the halacha is, any, Shabbos says, here's what's interesting. Let's say you have Aaron a coin. Aaron finds out that he's a, his mother is a grusha. There's a mother grusha. So fine, obviously he can't do any avoda going forward. What about the avoda he's done up until now? Shabbos says, the halacha is, any avoda he's done up until this point is kasher. It's kasher. So Bittarfan says, what do you see from here? That when you have Sonia as a cheskis kashos, but then the chazaka changes, the Chazak only changes going forward, but doesn't have an impact on anything retroactively. I'm Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, say one second. I'll give you a different case, Rabbi Akiva says, to a coin sitting and offering on the Mizbeach, Wow, watch this. Let's say if coin finds out he's a Balmum. Rabbi what do you mean he finds out he's a Balmum? He just discovered the Mum. It could be Rabbi say that ultimately he had a Mum that no one knew about. Right? And he just found out that that mum that he has is actually a disqualifying mum. What's the halacha? Sha'avodoso psula. So we'll say anything that he has done even retroactively is not good. So Rabbi Akiva says, you see from here that halacha lamaisa, when you have a change of chazaka, it impacts retroactively. So we'll say, so fascinating, right? So Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Tarfon is bringing a raya from Ben Grusha Ben Chalutza. Coin finds out that he's the son of a Grusha, son of a Chalutza. So again, that changes his Chazaka going forward, doesn't impact retroactively. Therefore, again, Rabbi Tav won't say, seemingly, find out the mikvah is not kosher, that impacts going forward, doesn't impact retroactively. Rabbi Akiva, Kohen who finds out he's a Balmum, that impacts even retroactively. So too, again, you find out that the mikvah is not kosher, impacts even retroactively. So I'm, I'm Rabbi Tav, Rabbi Tav says, Ato de Misula Balmum, you're comparing the mikvah to a coin as a Balmum, Let's see who's right. If a mikvah is like a ben grusha ben chalutza, let's treat it accordingly. And therefore say that it's only impacted going forward. Ultimately, again, if you want to compare it to a balmum, let's compare it to a balmum and pasa attractive. Alright, so we'll stop over here for today. We're going to pick up this kind of mid-discussion, dramatic discussion of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon. We'll be fine. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Mir Hashem. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll say, yeah, I'm going to have to stop with you on the base. Hey, we always catch up. Beautiful daft today. Incredible. Incredible.